quote from Jennifer. So I was going to go pre-vet, and pre-vet requires physics, but because now I'm going to stay in animal science, I don't need physics, and I miss the withdrawal date too, or calculus for that matter, so I'm taking two classes that I don't need, and I'm really frustrated because I can't seem to understand the material. Those words are from Jennifer, a student in a STEM program, Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math, at a very prestigious Research One University. Do you have a child in high school with a disability who's interested in going into a STEM program? If that is the case, today's podcast is especially for you. But in reality, this podcast is for any student who is considering a STEM program, whether already in the program at college or still in high school, because today's program is about barriers to STEM that students with disabilities run into. We're going to take a look at some research from the Journal of Post-Secondary Education and Disability. This is new research that was just done in 2021. Students with disabilities describe some of the issues that they ran into while they were in their STEM programs in college. They talk about some of the particular barriers that they had in relation to STEM and how those barriers impacted their ability to continue in STEM. So welcome to College Disabilities and Success, Episode 63, STEM Barriers and Students with Disabilities by Mickey Hayes. Opinions in this podcast are my own, but please reach out to your college, physician, or legal services for additional information. Today we are discussing an article from the Journal of Post-Secondary Education and Disability entitled, Students with High Incidence Disabilities in STEM, Barriers Encountered in Post-Secondary Learning Environments by Rachel Friedensen, Alexandra Lauterbach, Ezekiel Kimball, and Crystal George Mwangi. The link to the specific research article will be in today's show notes if you wish to access it. The research looked at 16 students with what they call high-incidence disabilities. These are disabilities that are very prevalent in colleges, but they are also disabilities that are invisible or hidden to the general public. They identified each of the students by their first name and identified their disability as dyslexia, ADHD or ADD, seizure disorder, learning disability, autism spectrum disorder, auditory processing disability, and anxiety and memory disorder. And the students were all registered with the Department of Disability Services, which is where the researchers went to begin their study so that they were sure they had students with documented disabilities to interview. And all of these students were at a very prestigious Research One institution somewhere in the Northeast. The institution was not identified in the research. They described bottlenecks. They used the Fishkin's theory of bottlenecks when they were doing their research. And they determined that there are four bottlenecks or barriers that occur when a student is going into a STEM course, STEM being science, technology, engineering, and math. I found it interesting that when they did the review of the literature with regards to students with disabilities and stopping out of STEM programs, some of the barriers that they found were a lack of STEM role models, a lack of encouragement to pursue STEM, a lack of instructor understanding of disability, 
some of the technical barriers, such as inaccessible labs or safety equipment, faculty that did not employ pedagogies and were resistant to reasonable accommodations, and research supporting that fewer students with disabilities received accommodations in STEM fields as compared to other majors. So they took these research-based areas and grouped the bottlenecks or barriers into four topics. The first topic was bottlenecks in the transition to post-secondary STEM learning environments. And those would be the bottlenecks that occurred while the student was still in high school transitioning into college. The second bottleneck that they looked at was bottlenecks and barriers that arose from peer and faculty behavior in the STEM programs. The third barrier that they explored was from the organizational structures of STEM programs themselves. And the fourth barrier was the disability identity as a specific bottleneck in the STEM programs. So let's take a look at each one of those four areas. Areas. Barrier number one, bottlenecks in the transition to post-secondary STEM learning environments. The researchers seem to notice a typical experience transitioning from high school to community college to the STEM courses in college. A quote from someone named Stanley said, I didn't have a lot of the courses in high school that kids out of high school are coming in with. And he also noted that less exposure to technical content from high school. But I found it particularly interesting, and this is one of the topics we had talked about previously with Kathy Allen on getting your kids ready to transition into college, is the idea that Stanley felt because of his dyslexia that he had less exposure in high school to the technical content. And so when he went into the electrical engineering major that he had to take additional coursework in that major that would probably delay his graduation and it came down to not having enough preparation in the high school in the technical skills that he needed to succeed at college. This is a topic that particularly concerns you. Listen again to episode 55 by Kathy Allen called Front-Loading Your Teen's Transition Plan, where she addresses that very topic, that sometimes the students just are not really prepared for the rigors of college based on the experiences they had as a student with a disability in high school, some of the extra modifications that they're not going to see in college. And this is what Stanley was talking about. It actually was going to put him behind for graduation because of the additional coursework that he had to take at the college level. Another comment that I found very interesting was from a student named Christine. And Christine ran into a new form of simulation lab with no explanation of how to do the lab and what it was about. And that at first glance looks like a problem with the college that didn't really explain the program, which is probably true. But by the same token, Christine mentioned that at that time, because of her disability and her transitioning from the high school program, that she did not have the tools necessary to broach the issue with her lab instructor so that she could get her needs met. And that goes down to making sure that the student takes care of their own business while they're in high school. And in most cases in the high school situation, parents and teachers run so much interference for them that the kids do not feel adequately prepared to handle it themselves. And Christine is an example of that issue, transitioning from high school to college. Now, 
Let's look at finding number two, barriers arising from peer and faculty behavior in STEM learning environments. First, we'll talk about the relationship with peers in college. One of the students named Francesca said that she preferred her major's less competitive atmosphere. And this is her quote. Definitely, like other majors I've heard, are a lot more competitive. I'm taking a kinesthesiology class, like anatomy, physiology. Even in their labs, they're weirdly competitive about really dumb things, where I'm like, why would you even brag about that? It's not even that cool. Definitely a way different atmosphere than biochem, where everybody else was like, I don't know either. This is hard. So Francesca's quote is interesting because she's finding herself in labs where sometimes the students appear very competitive, and she finds that idea difficult to deal with, as you can tell from her quote. But what the study shows is that students that they talked about, students that they interviewed, prefer a situation where they're less worried about revealing their dyslexia or completing their work because of their dyslexia. Students were concerned that their disabilities, dyslexia, ADHD, whatever they would be, would manifest in the group settings. So it comes to a a delicate balance of feeling included yet needing to create a workspace that's as distraction-free as they can make it. So although they want to be socially involved with the students in their class, they also have discovered that they need a less distracting environment to really focus in on the teacher and the instructor. So there's a delicate balance there between social acceptance and having to stay distant from a lot of the noise and activity in the room. And finding, as the article said, that their behavior needed to be calibrated according to the situation. Research finding number two topic also includes faculty behavior as a barrier. One of the research students named Christine commented, I think there are some really great professors, but there are some that need to be brought up to standard as far as how to deal with people with disabilities. Simply put, most of the accommodations available at the university in this study relied on faculty members to implement them, and not all did so effectively. Christine's comments highlight a normal procedure at colleges. In most cases, disability services will give the accommodations to the student, and then it's up to the student and the faculty to work out the details. And that's pretty standard operating procedure in most places. Now, here's where the issue becomes critical for you as a parent or you as a teacher, to please make sure that your child understands that communication between the student and the disability services is especially critical if the student's disability accommodations are not adequately being met in the classroom. If your child goes along all semester and doesn't come back to disability services to complain about a lack of accommodations and they don't say anything about it until the end of the semester and they don't pass because they didn't get the accommodations that they needed, there's nothing at that point that the disability services can do because disability services are not going to be aware there is a problem unless your child or the student comes back to disability services and talks to them. And Christine's comment highlighted that need, that it's so very important for students with disabilities to make sure the lines of communication are open between the student and the faculty and between the student and disability services as situations arise. Now, obviously, the situations are person-to-person and individual as an issue occurs. And given the difficulty of the subject matter, there is going to be some struggle. But those lines of communication definitely need to stay open. 
Some students perceived faculty awareness of their disability as either a help or a hindrance, and that sometimes comes down to how much the faculty actually understands about the disability specifically. There's one comment that Francesca made that I found particularly sad. When Francesca told her advisor that her grades were not good enough to work after college, and the advisor responded, well, they don't really care about that. They just care about your GPA. Instead of offering the students some alternatives or some suggestions or some ways to address the grades in her class, which is where that conversation should really have gone. So anything that the college could do to adequately prepare staff and faculty for supporting students with disabilities is extremely important. So that's where you get into professional development and faculty training and staff training and some of the resources and research that's out there that can make a difference in the way they support and help a student. Now, the third barrier deals with institutional issues, the barriers arising from organizational structures in STEM learning environments. This comes down to the way the courses and the programs are offered. So let's listen again to Jennifer. That was the quote that I gave you at the very beginning when I introduced today's podcast. So I was going to go pre-vet, and pre-vet requires physics. But because now I'm going to stay in animal science, I don't need physics. And I miss the withdrawal date, too, or calculus, for that matter. So I'm taking two classes that I don't need, and I'm really frustrated because I can't seem to understand the material. So what happened there was Jennifer didn't really understand the program that well. The differences in the courses and the programs that she was going into seemed to be unclear and poorly explained to her. And it could be that Jennifer's disability compounded that issue for sure. But the problem is the clarity of a course description and the ability of an advisor to clearly share that course description adequately will make a difference. And good advising makes a huge difference when students are planning their curriculum. And so many times students don't go to the advisors. They just sort of plan it on their own without an advisor's help. And I always encourage students with disabilities to go talk specifically to an advisor who knows those courses upside down and inside out. And they can give them really good insight into what that course really involves and what that student can expect once they get into that course. Now, the other issue that Jennifer mentioned in that quote was that she's stuck in these classes because she missed the deadlines. And if you've listened to any of my podcasts, you know I preach that constantly. Know the deadlines because they're not flexible in college. A deadline is a deadline is a deadline. And if you miss those deadlines because you didn't know, you are stuck in that situation until the semester ends. So that comes down again to talking to the advisor and to talking to disability services and to checking the calendar and knowing the deadlines. And if you're a parent or a teacher in this situation with a child who doesn't really pay attention to deadlines and you do all their work for them, you really better figure out a way to get your child or your students looking at deadlines more closely because it makes a huge, it can make a huge difference at college. Gateway courses are another thing that students need to be aware of. Programs have gateway courses that every student has to filter through in order to get into the very specific courses of their major. And sometimes courses, gateway courses, are courses that will trigger a disability more quickly than something else. And gateway courses have the power to keep them from moving forward. So 
as an advisor, again, that advisor can talk to you about gateway courses and how important those gateway courses are in pursuing your major. So again, parents, this may be a situation where a course that's going to be particularly difficult and challenging may need to be taken alone or with a lightweight course. And so you may end up with the reduced course load accommodation as a necessity for a semester where the student is allowed to be treated as a full-time student even though they're not taking a full-time credit load. And that gives them time to focus on those challenging and difficult gateway courses that will sometimes stop them in their tracks. Now, if you have a student in a gateway course or who's going to be going through a gateway course or a particularly difficult course, listen again to Paul Nolting's episode 59 on math accommodations with students with SLD, where he talks about some very, very unique accommodations that are not the typical accommodations that we see at colleges. Some unique accommodations that you can offer to a student and will make a difference in mitigating some of the disability issues that that student is facing. The fourth point that the research makes is about disability identity as a bottleneck in STEM learning environments. And this comes down to students with disabilities understanding their disability and having a comfort level with it, so to speak, and acceptance of it. And some students really struggle with that if they haven't been adequately prepared before college to understand their disability. Many, many times I had students come into my office with their parents at that initial visit, and I would ask them questions about their disability, specifically how they worked, where their problem areas were, where their strengths were. And I had more students either look at their parents for the answer or their parents would answer for them. And I find that a real struggle. Because if the student doesn't know and understand their disability, they're going to hit walls when they get into college courses, especially if it's a STEM program. Here's a quote from Lucy, who demonstrates the lack of a fit in class. Sometimes I even come in crying after lab or after a day in which I've had so many things to do and just fighting. It feels like a complete battle every day just to prove that I'm one of the club, that I'm part of the club. It's been rough for my self-esteem. Now, Lucy's struggling to feel like she belongs. Some students described the experience as more chaotic than high school, and some students found it bewildering. Some struggle with the size of the classes. Being in big classes are discouraging and cause them to wonder why they're even there because there's no personal connection with the instructors or the students. Social identity is really, really important to everybody and to students with disabilities for sure. And sometimes students with disabilities feel like they're outside of the room looking in, so to speak, in particular in some courses than other courses where they feel more disabled. So this comes down to preparation. How well Have you as a parent or you as a teacher prepared your students for the rigors of college? Do they know what they're walking into? Are they ready to go? Do they know their disability? Do they understand their disability? Do they understand their limitations and how to circumvent those limitations? What kind of technology and resources are available to them to help them with those limitations? And how can they, what can they do to become a successful college student. And a lot of that goes back to how well they were prepared. 
and it is especially applicable if they are going into a complex program, a complex STEM, science, technology, engineering, or math program in college. This study, in conclusion, shows a couple of things. First of all, it highlights the need for periodic assessments of the academic plans for students, teachers, colleges to really assess the academic plans that the students have. And they suggest the really singular importance of first-year courses for students with disabilities who are in STEM programs. Because those first bottlenecks, those first-year gateway courses and bottlenecks, really can stop students in their tracks. Secondly, they mentioned that those STEM programs really need to enhance their professional development opportunities for faculty that need knowledge in the ways to support students with disabilities. But as parents of high school students transitioning to STEM programs or teachers of high school students transitioning to STEM programs, your role in preparing the student for what they're walking into is critical. Not only the information in the STEM program, but knowledge about their disability. I hope you found value in today's podcast. If you have any questions about anything, please reach out to me at mickeyteaches at gmail.com. That's M-I-C-K-I-E teaches at gmail.com. Or check out my website and the resources on my website at mickeyteaches.com. I will have the links for the research that I talked about today in the show notes. There will also be a link in there for my free ebook, which has over 30 questions that you as a parent or a teacher should be able to answer before you send your student off to college. So that link will be in there as well. And I also have a link for a course helping students with disabilities get ready for all the aspects of college that they can expect to find. So all of those links will be in the show notes today. In the meantime, have a great rest of the day, and I will talk to you again soon. Bye. Information contained throughout this podcast has been gleaned from my own personal experiences. But to ensure accuracy, please contact the Disability Services at the college of your choice to have firsthand information and the most up-to-date policies and procedures followed by your particular institution of higher education. The content in any of these podcasts is not intended as a substitute for information from legal, educational, or medical professionals. Always seek the advice of your attorney or qualified health care provider with any questions you may have with regards to legal, educational, or medical concerns.